Good morning, my name is Dustin. As, as I hope you've been told good morning a few times today. I also get to be one of the pastors around here. And today we are concluding a series that we've been in for a while called At The Movies. And in this series, we've been taking uh, popular movies and using them as a connecting point, a connecting point from, from the Word of God to our world today. And we have found faith and we have found the truths of God in maybe some unlikely places. And today we are going to use the movie Encanto, a kid's movie. Yeah, kid's movies. Why in the world are we using a kid's movie today? Well, the first reason is that as I look through the hallway and I look at the list of the films that we're, we've used throughout this series, uh, my guess is that most of us haven't seen every one of them. But I would guess that every single one of you, or, or almost every one of you watching online in the room, you have been forced to watch a kid's movie at some point, haven't you? Yep, thank you. Thank you for responding. Yes, you have been forced to watch a kid's movie. And what I mean by that is that a kid's movie is playing and you are on your phone or you are doing something exciting like folding the laundry, right? Yeah, uh-huh. I'm a parent too. I know. And you don't have to be a parent. You could be a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle, a niece, a nephew. You could be a neighbor. You could be a cousin. You have been forced in some way probably to watch a kid's movie. But... As we've gone through this series, I've been a little convicted that we have missed some opportunities to actually engage kids in meaningful conversation, even spiritual conversations, following something as simple as a movie. And that's really what we've been doing in this series. Yeah, it has the fun little connection of a movie thing, but really what we're doing is finding biblical principles in the midst of something that is very common to our world. And so what would it look like if we used that as an opportunity to engage our kids in meaningful conversations, even spiritual conversations? Newer movies are filled with themes and ideas that I think are, are really important ideas and themes for our kids right now. I think movies, even in the 15 years that I've been a parent, have gotten better at this. I mean, thank you, Lord, that we are not in the good old days where it's all about a princess and she has to wait on a guy to come do everything for her. I have two girls. I'm glad we're not there anymore. There are some good films out there. Now, that being said, yes, there are some that, that even in our home, we say, no, we're not going to watch that because not every film follows in line or falls in line with the values that you and I have. That's called raising a child saying no to things like that. That's okay. Even if you're one of those who says, well, we only watch Christian movies, you're going to have to be careful because there's some really bad Christian movies out there too. But what would it look like if we engaged our kids in meaningful conversations regarding this after watching a movie? As I've considered this and I've tried it with my own kids, I've learned a few things and I want to give you just some of the mistakes that I have made. Uh, the, the first little bit of advice would be to start with the good. Start with the good. I am wired, maybe you're similar, I am wired to find everything I did not like about that movie. And I'm making a mental list, and as soon as the credits roll, I'm ready to fire off everything I did not like about the movie. That joke that was not quite right, that I am going to list it. And if my kids are here, and they love that film, <laughs> I'm just creating a really big gap between them as we engage. The second little piece of advice, it's a conversation, not a sermon. Let them talk. Your kids will find things and see things maybe that you even missed. 
Uh, Teachers know this. We don't give kids credit enough for what they are actually picking up on in the world around them, what they are seeing, what they are hearing. So today, as we go through in Kanto, I'm going to share some of the things that my own kids found as we watched this film together. Some things maybe I even didn't expect them to see. There are a lot of themes in this movie. Uh, We could talk about generational trauma. We could talk about legalism, perfectionism, um, family dynamics. We don't talk about Bruno. No family has a situation like that, do we? No. This movie, it's a beautiful movie. The animation is gorgeous and and the music is really catchy. It takes place in Colombia around probably the 1950s. One of the first... uh, characters that we meet is Abuela Alma. She's the matriarch of the family. And Abuela, we learn in her younger years, uh, when, she was, when she was young, she had a newborn set of triplets, and she had a husband who, who, who lived happily ever after, but not. They had to flee their home in the very real, not just in a movie, Thousand Days War in Colombia. And as they're fleeing their home, Abuela's husband is killed right in front of them, right in front of the family. And so in their darkest moment, they receive a miracle. A miracle in the form of a candle, a candle that creates the Encanto, the entire area that surrounds them, their home and the the community there for everybody, a safe place to live. And right away, we can see some parallels That that scripture tells us that while we were in our darkest place, while we were still sinners, while we were dead in sin, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, came and offered us a new life. Most of the movie uh, happens about 50 years after the war. And by then, the triplets have grown up, they've had kids of their own, and they live in a magical casita. This house is alive. It's, It's pretty wild. And at For each child, they have a coming-of-age ceremony. And at this coming-of-age ceremony, they receive a gift. And that gift is some sort of superhuman ability. Uh, For some, it was strength or, or perfection or the ability to influence the weather or to talk to animals. But they all receive a gift. And that gift is for the purpose of serving that community that they have. And in the opening song, we hear Abuela sing this line. We swear to always help those around us and earn the miracle that somehow found us. And that foreshadows a little bit of trouble that's brewing to earn the miracle. And so the, the first half of the movie really just follows the gifts of the family. And today we're going to talk about gifts. And not just gifts in a movie, but the gifts that you and I have. And hopefully, my my hope and prayer is that we would receive sort of the gift of perspective so that we can have a new perspective on the gifts that we have. Genesis 1, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 tells us that, that humans were created in the image of God. And it didn't take long for sin to enter the picture and mar that image, but something of the image of God still resides in people, in humans, in you and in me. And I believe part of that image of God is is expressed in the uniqueness, the unique gifts and talents that God has given us. I mean, we have the natural talents that maybe are passed on from generation to generation, or, or a talent maybe that you've worked really hard to develop. For followers of Jesus, we have spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit that, that are, are a special kind of gift that, that is only explained 
by the power and work of the Holy Spirit in and through the life of the believer. We're not gonna talk specifically about spiritual gifts today, but what we are going to admit though is that every one of these gifts, whether it's the genetic ones that are passed down or a spiritual gift, these are gifts from God. James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, even the genetic ones, because God is the one who created genetics. So the first big idea we can see in the film, the first big idea that I think my kids caught is that number one, you have a gift from God. Ours don't come from a magical candle, they come from God. And the purpose of that gift is, is that image of God that is in us somehow like, like a mirror to the light reflecting it around that the, the gifts that God has given us will somehow reflect something of who God is, his nature, his character to the world around us. Everyone has a gift. You have a gift from God. But in Encanto, not everybody has a gift. Mirabelle, the main character of the film, Mirabelle has her coming of age ceremony and nothing happens. And we learn that while she has a good attitude about it, sometimes it's a little hard for her. Here's a clip. What are you doing? Uh, they were just asking about the family and... She was about to tell us about her super awesome gift! Oh, Mirabelle didn't get one. You didn't get a gift? Um... Mirabel! Delivery! I gave you the special since you're the only Madrigal kid with no gift. I call it the not special special since, uh, you have no gift. Thanks. Oh, and tell Antonio good luck. Last gift ceremony was a bummer. Last one being yours that, that did not work. Mm-hmm. If I was you, I'll be really sad. Well, my little friend, I am not. Because the truth is, gift or no gift, I am just as special as the rest of my family. Who wants more cake? Alright guys, where do I drop the wagon? Maybe your gift is being in denial. She doesn't seem to have a gift. Maybe it's in being in denial. I love that line. That was a good one. And we find miracles and gifts, not just in movies, right? We find miracles and gifts in scripture too. And so today we're going to look at a miracle of Jesus. It's actually the only miracle of Jesus found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in John. It's the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to read it from Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 31. Then because so many people were coming and going that they, the disciples and Jesus, did not even have a chance to eat, he, Jesus, said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. 
Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. When I come to passages like this, one of my favorite things to do is, is to look at it from the different perspectives in the passage. And so I want us to look from the different perspectives, maybe first from the crowd. The perspective of the crowd. The front row is, is probably full of those who have followed Jesus all day. They've been listening to him. They're, they're excited. Like everything he says, there's, oh yes, that's amazing. That's wonderful. But what about the back? And I'm not trying to make anybody feeling in the back feel bad. <laughs> what about the back of the crowd though? Because you've got in the back, you've got the people that maybe they just saw the commotion and wanted to check it out. Or maybe they're a little skeptical. They're not totally sure who this Jesus guy is or what he's saying. And then they're starting to get hungry and food is getting passed out. But they saw how much the disciples and Jesus had. There's no way it's getting to the back. But as the disciples keep working through the crowd, it just doesn't run out. And then when they get to that back row, that back section of the crowd, there's more than enough. There's not just enough. There's, there's enough and leftovers. That the people who were there all day, the people who were just bought in, they actually got the same as the people all the way in the back who weren't so sure. Maybe the skeptics. God has not run out of gifts on you. He has not skipped you. He has not, he has not run out. There is more than enough. Now, maybe your gift doesn't feel significant. Maybe you feel like there are other people who have better gifts. Maybe they can make more money with their gifts. And so we feel like it's insignificant. But no, God has not run out on you. He has given you gifts. Mirabel, in the movie, there's an argument online whether or not she actually has a gift. I think she does. It doesn't look anything like her family's, but she does have a gift because I believe you have a gift. And as the story goes on in the movie, Mirabel starts to see cracks forming in their house, in the casita, and it's, it's threatening their, their very livelihood. And so she goes to investigate, why is the house showing cracks? And she goes to her sister, her sister Luisa. Her sister Luisa is the strong one. She, she can lift buildings. She can carry a herd of donkeys and put them from pin to pin. It's kind of wild. She is really strong though. And Mirabel learns that not all is well. See, Luisa has been feeling the pressure building of this idea of earning the miracle. Abuela, with good intentions, Abuela has, has placed this pressure on the family that is breaking them apart. She sings a song called Surface Pressure, and in that song, she sings this line, under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. I'm worthless if I can't do what I've been given to do. I'm worthless if I don't have my gift. You have a gift from God. But number two, you are not your gift. You're not your gift. And I know this one sounds really simple, doesn't it? It's, oh, well, I'm not a, my gift. 
But our identities are one of the big things in our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, we've been given an identity. We've been given an identity that we've been adopted into the family of God, called his child. We have been loved. We have been, uh, the the image of God is being restored in us and, and it's a beautiful thing. But we may not always choose to see that as our identity. Sometimes we put our identity in all the wrong places, don't we? We put it in things that can change, things that, that don't stay the same. I remember in 2008, I remember watching people who were so good at what they did lose their jobs. And more than a few not only lost a job and had to deal with that challenge, but they were losing their very identity because this is who I am. That's not where your identity is. For kids, for students, we see this happen all the time. Uh, a, A good athlete gets hurt and it's hard because they can't do what they put their identity in. They're good in the classroom and then they find that one subject that doesn't work. Louisa, she's the strong one. She's the hold it all together. Anybody hold it all together? A traditional oldest child, not necessarily, but the oldest child, you hold it all together, right? They have another sister, Isabella. She's the perfect one. She can show no flaws, no flaws, always perfect. And they're feeling this pressure building. I was shocked my kids caught this. Kids catch this kind of thing. They, they catch this idea of the pressure building. I don't think it's a coincidence that, that you see uh, anxiety in kids and young adults just soaring. Uh, Abuela, her advice when the cracks were forming and they were feeling the pressure, try harder. Has anybody else tried harder when things seem to be falling apart? Try harder. What we do is important. I mean, we spend a huge amount of time in what we do, in in our occupations and the things we do using the gifts that we have. We spend a lot of time on that. And it's valuable. But your value is far greater than what you can do. And I know that sounds simple, but it is one of the hardest things, I believe, to put into practice then why have gifts in the first place? I mean, if they're so difficult for us to to sometimes get tangled up in, why have them in the first place? And I think this is also where we get tangled up. In our our passage of the feeding of the 5,000, let's look at a different perspective. Let's look at Jesus. He's ready to go across the lake and they're going to rest and they're gonna eat. But he sees the crowd. He sees the crowd form and he says in verse 34, this is what it says. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The entire miracle that Jesus is about to perform of the feeding of the 5,000, and that's just the guys. I mean, there are women and children as well. So it's seven, 10, I have no idea. Thousands of people. This entire miracle is built on nothing other than the compassion of Jesus. He sees people and has compassion on them. Every gift that you have received from God is is built on his compassion and love for you. See, so often we see it as, as, as obligation and duty. Oh, I have this gift. I must use it. It must be done. That gift is given to you in compassion and in love. See, Abuela, again, with good intentions, we, we need to earn the miracle. 
You can't earn a gift. That's a reward. A gift is nothing other than the grace of God receiving that which we do not deserve. You have a gift. You are not your gift. But number three, your gift will likely be misunderstood. Gifts get misunderstood all of the time. We misunderstand our own gifts. In the movie, we don't talk about Bruno. Are there any kids in the room? There are kids in the room and you know this song. You may not have even seen the movie and you know this song. I watched kids while we were at the carnival. They sang the entire song and there are a lot of words in these songs. We don't talk about Bruno. Bruno is Abuela's son, one of the triplets. And Bruno has the gift of being able to tell the future. But the problem is that there's a real big misunderstanding of this gift. You see, as as he would say, this is going to happen, people thought he was causing it to happen. And so after all these different things happen, he pretty much just leaves. He withdraws. He goes away. Mirabelle, who is trying to find out why the cracks are forming, she actually finds Bruno. And he's been living in the house, in the walls, the entire time. Living in the walls, patching the cracks, living in the walls, watching his family go through their daily lives. And we see this scene. I don't understand. Well, because she's his aunt and she has amnesia. So she can't remember that she's his aunt. It's like a very forbidden kind of... I don't (laughs) understand why you left but didn't leave. Oh, well, because, you know, the mountains around the Encanto are pretty tall and... uh, and like, you know, like I said, free food and everything. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you guys love the free food, don't you? It's, it's always hungry, never satisfied. Yeah, my, my gift wasn't helping the family but uh but I love my family you know I just don't know how to I just don't know how to well anyway I, I think you should go because um I don't really have a good reason but if I did you'd be like I should go because that's a good reason his gift was misunderstood he thought he was hurting the family but he loved them It's a really touching scene, but it reminds us that sometimes our gift is misunderstood, sometimes even by ourselves. There's a misunderstanding in our our scripture passage that we're going through, and the misunderstanding happens in the perspective of the disciples. The disciples, they have been with Jesus, and he's been teaching, and they decide to go across, and Jesus says, so we can rest and eat. And then when they get there, there's a crowd, and so my guess is they didn't get to rest, and they didn't get to eat. Jesus has compassion, begins teaching again. And they're hungry, maybe even hangry. And finally, they they say, Jesus, you've got to send the people away. Well, you feed them. Jesus, you've been in the sun too long. You've been talking too long. There's no way we can feed them. What do you have? Five loaves and two fish. Have the people get into groups. Now, I've never organized... 7,000 people outside without a microphone. But I can't imagine it was fun, fast, or really easy. Can you imagine them maybe grumbling a little bit? I don't know, maybe they didn't. But I wonder if they were a little bit frustrated. Because they're hungry. They want to eat too. 
And then Jesus starts passing out the food and they start distributing it in the crowd and it's not running out. At what point did they catch on to what was going on? Though they still misunderstood, scripture says that Jesus later had to explain the miracle to them. They still didn't quite understand it. Your gift also, it might be misunderstood. But you have a gift from God. You are not your gift. It might be misunderstood. But number four, your gift has a greater purpose. Your gift has a greater purpose. Mirabel, I said, I believe she had a gift, though it didn't look like her family. See, the entire time, the family is beginning to buckle under the weight, under the pressure. And what's been happening to the house is it's cracking. It's actually mirroring the family. So as the family begins to crumble, the house begins to crumble. And finally, the whole thing comes crashing down. All of their gifts are gone. Their special skills and abilities are gone. And there is Mirabel, the one who seems to have no gift. And she's the one who's bringing the family back together. And in bringing the family back together, she leads them as they begin to put the home back together. She begins to do this work because the condition of the house mirrored the condition of the family. One more perspective from our scripture passage is is actually not found in Mark. It's in John's account of this miracle. The five loaves and the two fish come from a boy, a boy in the crowd. And I wonder from his perspective, when the disciples start asking if anybody has any food, if the boy in the crowd thinks about not speaking up. I mean, he doesn't have much. He has five loaves, two fish. It's barely enough for, it's it's not enough for thousands of people for sure. But he speaks up and he offers what he had, even if it felt insignificant. And that was more than enough in the hands of Jesus. In the hands of Jesus, everybody was fed. It was more than enough, but not just people being fed. There was more to this miracle because this miracle is revealing who Jesus is to the world, that he is the son of God. See, God has given us the miracle of himself in Jesus Christ. And and Jesus is the one who has come uh, to gather back his family, to bring them all together, to repair the cracks caused by sin, and to restore the image of God in all of creation, including you and all of us together. In the church, this beautiful, sometimes strange, powerful, amazing body of Jesus, the church. So for you today, maybe today is a day when you need to join the family. You need to choose to follow Jesus, that you see the cracks in your life. You know what's going on in your life. But instead of continuing to just patch, 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 you can go to Jesus, find him with his arms wide open and say, Jesus, I want, I need you. I need you to restore your image in my life. And I need you to gather me into your family. I want to be your child, to put my identity where it's supposed to be and not in anything else in the world. But I think for many of us, we know we have gifts from God. The challenge is those gifts perhaps have become our identity. And we need to maybe reevaluate how we have approached our gifts, to, to have the gift of a new perspective so that we can gain a new perspective on the gifts because that is not your identity. Or perhaps it's time to, to say, 
okay, my gift feels insignificant. It doesn't feel good enough. It doesn't feel as, as important, but Jesus, in your hands, I mean, can you imagine if Jesus can take five loaves and two fish and feed thousands of people, what in the world could God do with the gifts that he has given you if you will simply say, here I am, here I am. I'm not my gift, but my gift is going to show the world the love and the compassion of Jesus as the image of God shines through 